for a funeral. And then uh, the week before, we had Brother Ryan Near. So uh, we're going to be blessed again with him in October. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward here to, to jumping back into the Apostle series that we've been looking at. We haven't visited this in a few weeks, so you've had a few weeks off. Uh, but we've already covered quite a few of them. But tonight, we're looking at this title. Well, the, the series title is The Apostles, Their Story, and How It Should Impact Ours. But tonight's title is Rejected by Most, But Accepted by One. Rejected by Most, But Accepted by One. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everybody who's here, who's made it a point to be in the house or even watching online. Please anoint uh, Brother Ruiz as he speaks to the youth and the youth service and everybody that everything going on in children's ministry. Anoint the whole building, God, every part of it, Lord Jesus. Just reach to everybody who is being ministered to and who is aiming to minister. And so, God, I'm one of those people, Lord. Anoint me. Speak through me. Let our hearts and minds be receptive as we study, Lord Jesus, your word tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. So, all of the 12 apostles, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, were from Galilee. That whole region was predominantly rural consisting of small towns and villages. Its people were not elite. They were not known for their education. They were, they were the commonest of the common, and they were fishermen and farmers. Jesus seems to intentionally stay away from the religious elites of that day. As a matter of fact, it was the chief priests and ruling council of Israel who led the crowd in a cry for Jesus' blood. The religious establishment hated him. So it's no wonder that Jesus chose simple men of faith instead of the religious elite. But what irritated the religious leaders was not even the miracles. People would say, oh, you know, he just proved himself to be God and that annoyed them. The miracles weren't, wasn't really what irritated them. They could live with the fact that someone walked on water or fed to thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. What they could not tolerate was being called sinners. They would acknowledge themselves, they would not acknowledge themselves as, as, as poor, prisoners, blind, oppressed. They were self-righteous, and they wouldn't take that. So when Jesus came, just as John the Baptist did before him, he was preaching repentance and saying they were under the bondage of their own iniquity. Didn't sit well with them, saying they were the ones in need of forgiveness and washing and cleansing. They could not and would not tolerate that. Therefore, it was ultimately because of his message that they hated him and eventually executed him. So when it came time to appoint apostles, Jesus chose lowly, meek, ordinary men, men who were willing to acknowledge their own limitations and their own sinfulness. In all likelihood, none of the 12 was probably as notorious in that day as the apostle Matthew. He's called by his Jewish name, Levi, the son of Alphaeus in Mark 2. Luke refers to him as Levi in Luke 5, but, the, but Luke calls him Matthew when he lists the 12 in Luke 6 and in Acts chapter 1. Matthew's the author of the first gospel of the New Testament that bears his name. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew. He's the one that wrote that. For that reason, we might expect like, hey, we're going to learn a lot about Matthew. The whole book of the Bible is named after this guy. I can't wait to dive in. But the fact of the matter is, is we know very little about Matthew. The only things we know for sure is he was humble, self-effacing man who kept himself completely in the background 
throughout his lengthy account of Jesus' ministry. In his entire Gospels, he mentioned his own name only two times. In his whole Gospel. I mean, I think people always say, if you want to get someone to talk, talk, ask them about themselves. Like, often our favorite subject is ourselves. Well, Matthew, he's, he, he mentions himself twice in the whole Gospel. Once is where he's recording his call, and the other is when he lists the 12 apostles. Matthew was a tax collector, a publican, when Jesus called him. That is the last credential we might expect to see from a man who would become an apostle of Jesus Christ, a top leader in the church, and a preacher of the gospel. Okay, after all tax collectors were the most despised people in all of Israel. And I didn't do this on purpose, but I do think it's interesting. I'm talking about Matthew, the tax collector. Just before tax day, what is that, April 15th or something? I mean, it's coming up. Some of you, if, you're, if, if that is news to you, you are in trouble. You better get going fast or Matthew's going to be coming to see you. They were vilified by all of Jewish society. Publicans were men who had bought tax franchises from the Roman Empire. Then they extorted money from people of Israel to feed the Roman coffers and pad their own pockets. They often strong-armed money out of people and even used thugs. Most were despicable, vile, unprincipled scoundrels. These tax collectors had a certain amount that was legitimate to, co- to collect for the government, but there, wasn't, there was an unspoken agreement with the Roman Empire that, that they could assess whatever other fees and additional taxes that they were able to. Thus, they were allowed to keep a percentage for themselves. So people despised them. They were in with the Roman Empire. So even, you're a, even though you're a Jew, you're in with the Roman Empire taking the Jews' money. You can see this does not sit well with your Jewish friends. Matthew 9.9 records the call of this man, and honestly, it comes out of nowhere, completely catching the reader by surprise. Matthew 9.6 says, So I will prove to you the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. He said, Stand up, pick up your mat, go home. What a, wow, what a powerful message that is. The man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. They were praising God. This is amazing, great miracle. Verse 9, and Jesus is walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. He said, Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, Matthew got up and followed him. What? I mean, we're just rejoicing. A paralyzed man's walking. Great things are happening. Fear is striking through the area, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, and then he called a tax collector to follow him. He's kind of nestled in there. And just like that, we have this time where Matthew discusses himself. And the next verse, verse 10 says, later, Matthew, so we said, hey, follow me, and he followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Sounds like a party. Luke reveals that this was actually in Luke, the writer, you know, third gospel. He reveals that this is actually an enormous banquet that Matthew held in Jesus's honor. It seems he invited a large number of his fellow tax collectors and various kinds of scoundrels and social outcasts to his house for this party. 
As we saw in the case of Philip and Andrew, Matthew's first impulse after following Jesus was what? I got to get my closest friends. I want to get the people who are closest to me to get in the presence of Jesus Christ. It still works today. Have you brought your closest friends to introduce them to Jesus? What is keeping us from doing everything we can to get our friends into the presence of Jesus Christ? Matthew was so thrilled to have found the Messiah, he wanted to introduce Jesus to everybody he knew. So he held a large banquet in his honor. Almost sounds like a creative way to have a Bible study, right? In his house, invited his friends. This is, there's certain methods that change over time, but then there's certain methods that always stay the same. They're always, if you're teaching Bible studies, it doesn't matter if it's the 1980s, 1990s, early 2000s, if it was 2010, 2019, and 2040. Bible studies are always going to work because the Word of God works. And so they taught publicly and from house to house. House to house is Bible study, small groups. This is all apostolic. And so here Matthew's going, hey, I'm going to invite my closest friends into my house to learn from Jesus. Today, what a beautiful thing. What is keeping us, what is keeping us from designing or buying on Vistaprint some postcards that say, I'm having a Bible study where we're going to spend the next 10 weeks meeting one time a week for 45 minutes just to look at the, the powerful truths of the Word of God and hand it to every single person that we are friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, everybody like Matthew looked for and said, I'm inviting you into my home for in two weeks, we're gonna start a Bible study. And if you can't teach or you don't say, I don't wanna teach, I'm not comfortable teaching, we talked to Brother Foster, we will get you a teacher, but what keeps us from doing such a thing? If I hand it out, 30 invitations, and just started. It doesn't have to be a campaign at the church. Do you think that one of your 30 friends might show up at your house to learn about the Word of God? So what keeps us from doing that? Luke 5, 29 says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. That's Matthew. There was a great company of publicans. This is where Luke starts to talk about it. He says, Others sat down with him, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat with drink with publicans and sinners? See, part of the problem is they didn't view themselves as sinners. You know, that still can sneak into churches today. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured and said that. So Jesus answered and said to them, they, are, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Matthew invite tax collectors and other lowlifes to his house? The answer is simple, because they were the only people he knew. You couldn't go to your friend, the uh, Jewish elite, and say, hey, man, you know, yesterday I was collecting your taxes and trying to rob you blind. I was actually trying to steal from you and your family. Um, but today I'm a good guy, so you want to come over for dinner? Right. It takes a while to build that reputation back up. So um, if I'm going to try and reach somebody, I'm not going to go after, I'm going to go after the people I know. And if the people I know are scoundrels and tax collectors and, and heathens and harlots and, and yeah, 
I'm going to invite them all to my house. And so that's what he does. And guess what that means for you? If you were into drugs, bring drug addicts. If you're into education, bring students and teachers. If you're into gangs, bring the gang members. Get the people that you ran in your circle with because those are the people that you have influence with. And get them in your house. Get them in a public place. Get them in a place where you can expose them to the presence and power of Jesus Christ. For a Jewish man like Matthew the tax collector, that was even worse for a Jewish man. Tax collectors were on the same level as harlots. He would have been a religious outcast. He would have been forbidden to enter any synagogue. But Jesus comes along, this particular rabbi, He can't even go to the synagogue. Jesus, the rabbi, shows up and says, hey, man, follow me. I'll make you one of my disciples. You wouldn't have found a rabbi in all of Jerusalem that would have done that. But Jesus, countercultural, right? So Matthew goes ahead and invites the people. He doesn't go to strangers. He invites the people. So who fills Matthew's house? The criminals, hoodlums, prostitutes, extortioners, tax collectors. And according to Matthew's account, Jesus and the apostles gladly ate with such people. If the only people we're ever having a meal with are people that are not sick, I don't know if we're really fulfilling Jesus' call for our life. Of course, the people of the religious establishment, they were outraged. They wasted no time at all voicing their displeasure. How dare you eat with sinners? But Jesus simply says, sick people don't need a doctor. I'm here to call sinners to repentance. But notice, he says, I'm here to call sinners to repentance. Repentance is change. So Jesus is insinuating here. He expected change. That's why today you find people that Jesus just loved the sinners. And Jesus, we just need to love them. Absolutely have to love the sinners. But when Jesus spent time with people, they always changed. So I'm not just going to hang out with sinners indefinitely and keep hanging around sinful things. But if I'm hanging out with somebody, I want to be a light of Jesus Christ in their life. And I know that if they can feel the presence and power of God, change will start to begin in their life. And so he doesn't just hang out with them. He He calls them to change, and change they did. Maybe that's why the apostles never had a problem following him into places like Matthew's house because they had personally experienced that dramatic change. Matthew wouldn't have a problem going into another house. Oh, you know, I really, I used to be a tax collector. I shouldn't go in that tax collector's house because people might think I'm tax collecting again. I highly doubt Matthew ever said that. He was like, yeah, man, yeah, let's go. I'll tell you what, y'all, they, I, if he changed my life, just wait till you see what he does with this crowd of people. Because they had such confidence if you could get into the presence of Jesus Christ, your life would be changed. Matter of fact, I would say that they had much more confidence than we do. That's why we're probably not quite as passionate because we hope they can. They they were like, dude, if I can get this group of people in the presence of Jesus, it'll it, it it's going it's all gonna change. 
I, I, I want that in our church. I want that where we can say, hey, if I can get somebody in a small group, if I can get somebody in a Bible study, in a service, if I can sit down with somebody, I know that if they just feel Jesus and see Jesus and hear Jesus in my life, they'll change because God will do it. And so Jesus talks about these publicans, though, in a parable. Might, have been a, might as well have been a true story, right? Luke 18.10 says, two men, he says, went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The guts that this Lord and Savior must have had, as they're probably all sitting around. He's like, yeah, one of them was one of these guys right here. And the other was the despised tax collector. Oh, you did not just do that. You took the religious elite of the Jewish culture and then one of the most despised of the Jewish culture, and you're going to tell a story about these two. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer because this was their attitude. Why are you eating with sinners? This is the attitude. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood in the distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. One of us, if there's any of us that could relate to that feeling. When you first come into the presence of Jesus and you're like, I don't even want to lift my eyes because I know I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. But he said, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Then the Lord says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. <laughs> you start to see why they wanted to kill him. But that story says the tax collector stood afar off. No, did you catch that? Why? Why would they? He had to. He would not have been permitted past the court of the Gentiles in the temple. So he had to stand afar off. He knew, I'm just never going to get in the temple. I'm never going to get in the temple. In fact, tax collectors had to keep their distance from any group. They were so hated. The Jewish Talmud, the oral tradition, their written tradition of that, that kind of expounds on Scripture, they taught that it was righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because that was what a professional extortioner deserved. Some of you like, I'd like to write some things of my own for some people I know. But So there were two kinds of tax collectors in that day. This gives us background about Matthew. Number one was the Gabbai, and two was the Mokes. And if you are a Jewish literary scholar, and I said it wrong, just come see me after and correct me. But the Gabbai were general tax collectors. They collected property tax and income tax. The Mokes... However, collected on imports and exports, virtually anything that went by road. They set tolls on roads and bridges. They taxed beasts and axles on carts. Their assessments were often arbitrary and not clearly lined out. And there were two kinds of mokes. So you got Gabi and mokes, and then there's two kinds of mokes. There's great mokes and little mokes. I didn't come up with the names, okay? The great mokes stayed behind the scenes, and they would hire others to collect taxes for them. We read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was probably a great moke. He stood in the background. He sent other people to collect the taxes. 
Matthew, on the other hand, was evidently a little moke. Because according to Matthew 9.9, Jesus walking along, he saw a man sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's the guy, front and center. Like, if you're in Jewish culture, you know Matthew. You see Matthew in a story, you're like, oh, there's that jerk. Look at that. Man, I, you know, slash his tire. We should, we should key his car. You know I mean? Like, that's, that's their thinking. He was the one that people saw and resented the most. No self-respecting Jew in the right mind would ever choose to be a tax collector. He had effectively cut himself off, not only from his own people, but from God. He was banned from that synagogue. He was, in essence, worse off religiously than the Gentile. So to him, it must have been a stunning reality when he's sitting there at this tax collector's booth. Everyone in society despises him. Dude's probably got money. He's not struggling there, but he does not have relationship. Because obviously, even to have all of those people, that great crowd in his house, he probably was well off as far as funds go. But couldn't come to the temple, was despised by his own culture, and he's sitting there at his tax collector's table. And out of the clear blue, it, it appears, Jesus Christ walks up to him, looks at him and says, follow me. I'll make you a disciple. Wow. Wow. And scripture tells us Matthew instantly and without hesitation rose up and followed him. He abandoned the tax office. He left the, the toll booth and walked away from his cursed profession forever. The decision was irreversible as soon as he made it. You couldn't just, I'm going to try this for a week and come back. And that'll preach right there. If you really want to follow Jesus, it's time to let some other things that you've been working with and carrying and messing around with, it's time to set that behind and make a commitment that you're never going back to that. That if Jesus has called you, you're abandoning everything and you're walking toward what he has for you in your future. And so there was no shortage of money-grubbing piranha that wanted to, to have a successful, lucrative tax franchise like Matthew's. So as soon as he stepped, well, you can be sure somebody else jumped right in there. But he was never going back. He was never, ever going back. It's, it's so interesting to me to note that there are three tax collectors mentioned in the Gospels. Number one was Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Two was the publican mentioned in the parable in Luke 18. And then we have Matthew. And all three of them, all three of these men that were despised, all found forgiveness in Scripture. Because God, based on what we read, He doesn't care about what, how bad the past was, who did or did not accept you, how successful or unsuccessful you were, how long you've been living that way, what your profession was, what your culture was. From what we read, He put emphasis on humility, repentance, being teachable, hungry for God, open for instruction. Those were the people he chose. If you want to be mightily used by God, be humble, teachable, willing to repent, quick to worship, and ready to leave whatever he calls you away from behind, even if the future is unsure. I'm just going to trust you, God. 
But how did this happen? How did all three find forgiveness? He sheds light in it. The scripture sheds light in it. Luke 15, 1. We probably fly through this, but I think there's a deep truth here. It says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. Just leave that up. I don't think that we ever are reading the Bible and we stop there and all of a sudden have a revelatory moment. But I feel like I did. Reading this passage, I think that that shows the key of what what the Lord's looking for. Willing to draw near and to hear him. You want God to get a hold of your life, do great things, has a great future for him? I think we have to be willing to stop and and draw near to him and then hear him. But the Bible says, don't be just hearers of the word, but doers. Faith and works weren't separate concepts. It's, 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 it's if you believed and had faith in something, you did it. Today we can say, I believe, but I'm not ready to do it. That's, that's not a biblical concept. If you say, I believe, but I'm not ready to be baptized, that's, that's not, there was, there was not any delayed baptisms in scripture. And so, That's the key right there is your life will change forever if you're willing to hear. And of course, that's obey and draw near. And so Jesus continues to really buck against the religious tradition of that day when he goes into Matthew 21, 31. It says, which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. He said, I tell you the truth, corrupt, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. He didn't say they do. Now he's speaking to somebody direct. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. Man, he's just like grabbing the most despised people of society, aligning them with the most educated and supposedly godly perfect people of society. And he's going, there's a heart issue. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. Outside, you got it right, but inside, you're putrid. It's, it's messed up. These people look like they're the most vile of sinners, and they are better off than you are. But he says, John the Baptist preached to you. They, they listened. You didn't. And even when you saw this happen, you refused to believe and repent of your sins. What's he saying here? He just piggybacking off of, leave that passage up, piggybacking off of what I just read before. This is the exact opposite. He said, you you got to, the publicans, the tax collectors, they drew near and heard him. This is the exact opposite. They would not draw near and they would not listen. So those are things that the the Lord's obviously passionate about when we study Matthew and the life and the culture and the background of a tax collector. We can, even though scripture doesn't say much, we can understand the bigger scope, the bigger picture here. That if we want to be mightily used by God, we got to be willing to, to do whatever we can, whatever we need to leave behind, to draw near to him, and then to listen to what he has to say. And not just listen, but of course, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. And so when Matthew, with Matthew, whatever his tortured soul experienced because of his profession there was still something deep in him that knew it was wrong. He wanted truth. He was spiritually hungry. How many people, I think about that, are living around us right now? They're hungry for something more. They would respond if they knew 
that Jesus would accept them. And who better to tell them about that acceptance than someone like you or I who's already experienced that acceptance? Matthew knew the Old Testament very well. In his gospel, he quotes the Old Testament 99 times. This tax collector that wasn't allowed in the temples and synagogues knew the Old Testament. Do you know 99 times is more quotations of the Old Testament than Mark, Luke, and John combined? He knew Scripture. Matter of fact, he quotes from the law, Psalms, and prophets in his gospel. He must have pursued study on his own because he wasn't allowed in the synagogue. No, no rabbi was going to train a tax collector. So this guy was obviously hungry, hungry for God. And because of this, he had a desire to draw near and to listen. I think in this day and age, chaos ensues, schedules are busy, technology. We just started our technology group. I mean, just there's so many things. But are you willing to put whatever you need to aside, walk away from whatever it is that defines you at times and say, I'm going to get in the presence of God and I'm going to draw near to him. And as I draw near, I'm going to listen. If, if you want to be used by God, if you want to have a deeper relationship with God, I do. And so Matthew's life challenges me. I want to draw near and I want to listen. You can stand to your feet tonight. Jesus called Matthew to be one of his hand-picked followers. Tax collector. Man, that would have shocked everybody in the whole area. Probably even shocked Matthew. But the Lord knows when we're hungry. The Lord knows when we really want something more than what we have right now. As we close, Matthew, he wrote his gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. Tradition, maybe you know, you never know. Maybe the guy felt horrible he had taken so much from the Jews. <laughs> maybe he just really was passionate about trying to reach him. But he's a Jew himself. And so tradition says he ministered to the Jews both in Israel and abroad for many years before being martyred for his faith. Again, we don't, we don't know what the story was. We rely on history. It's not in scripture. There's no reliable record on this one. Sometimes we do have reliable historical record. This one we don't. No reliable record of how he was put to death. But the earliest traditions that we find say that he was burned at the stake. Thus, this man who walked away from a lucrative career, at least financially, without ever giving it a second thought from what we can see in Scripture. The Lord called him. Boom, he got up and went. What is the Lord calling you to do? Is he calling you to draw near to him? Is he calling you to listen? Is he calling you to give something up? Is he calling you to put something in? Because if you'll draw near, and if you'll listen, 
you'll be a doer and not just a hearer, he's going to tell you some things. Just like he told Matthew. Just like he told you at some point in your walk with God, because you've made strides to be in this place and worship the way you do and live the way you do. But I don't ever want to stop with the first three or six or 12 strides. Because if I just keep drawing near to him, he'll keep speaking. He's not gonna, he's not gonna stop speaking. He's gonna, he's gonna keep speaking. And if I'm hungry for him, if I'm willing to walk away, leave whatever behind and let him speak, he's gonna take us on a journey. He's got a great, great future planned. But first he wants to know, is there some people here This man walked away from it all and remained faithful to the very end. And he's going to have a crown in heaven and Matthew the tax collector is going to have more gold up there than he ever had down here. I invite you tonight before you leave to just find a place to draw near to Jesus Christ and to just listen to what it is that he wants to say, speak. He'll challenge you. He'll encourage you. That's what's beautiful about God. He knows when to challenge, when to correct, when to encourage, when to teach, when to rebuke. And if you're willing to listen and do something with it, He's going to mold you and shape you into exactly what he wants you to be.